Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Let's start out by thanking our Patreon contributors from this past week. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And this week we had Cindy, Johnny, Viviana, Siobhan, Anne, Claudine, Natalie, Jade, Angelica, Melissa, Jen, Jean, Lauren, Sarah, Maylene, Amy, Amber, Lori, Jelly, Courtney, Amanda, Nicola, and Gina. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. So last weekend, the new movie, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield, dropped. This movie is based on the documentary of the same name and is about the rise and fall of pioneers of televangelism, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. This was one of the biggest scandals of the 80s and was really the beginning of the sort of come to Jesus moment a lot of corrupt and criminal figures in the fundamentalist movement suffered after experiencing mega power and influence after helping Reagan get elected in 1980. We have a lot to wade through. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my sources for this episode is a memoir by Tammy Faye Baker. Mesner is her uh, name by the time she writes this. Uh, It's called Tammy, Telling It My Way. Uh, I also read a book called PTL, The Rise and Fall of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's Evangelical Empire by John H. Wigger. And I watched a frontline on the rise and fall of the PTL and Jim Baker, as well as the documentary, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. So this will be a two-parter, and it's going to take us right up to October when we start our annual tradition of horror movie versus reality for the month. Can't wait. Are you excited? Do you have yours picked out? I have one picked out. I have one picked out. I hope it's not the same one because I really want to do mine. (laughs) No, it's definitely not. Okay, good. Mine's a deep cut horror movie. Okay, good. Mine's definitely not. Okay. So Tammy Faye Baker was born Tamara Faye LaValle in International Falls, Minnesota in 1942 to Pentecostal preachers Rachel and Carl LaValle. Her name was almost Sandra Kay, but then her grandma heard about a ballerina named Tamara on the radio and Tammy Faye was born. Shortly after she was born, her parents went through a painful divorce, which really soured her mother against other ministers and alienated her from the church, which was a Pentecostal denomination. So Pentecostalism, that is a very specific form of Christianity. It emphasizes literally being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the things you see where they are touching the snakes, uh, they are collapsing on the floor. They are being healed. It's the tent revival religion. The speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. All of that stuff is Pentecostal, uh, the Pentecostal denomination. So this religion 
It's also the one that the reverend who stopped dancing in Footla- Footloose is. Like oh. They're against all dancing, music, uh, movies, television. Wait, they're actually against dancing? That's not just yes. a Footloose thing? No, this, this is real. Like the extreme version of this religion is against all of that stuff. So uh, it's very conservative. Everything is God-focused. So if you do sing music, it is for God. Like everything is sort of in um, service to that. This is also um, an interesting thing about this religion is that it really took off in the early 1900s in Los Angeles. Oh. Like they had a huge, like that is that, um, what's her name? Amy Semple, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember her name right now. It's slipping my mind. Yeah. She was a huge um, revive, like, she did all these revivals in LA and she was a huge media sensation in like the 1910s to 20s. Yeah, I thought about doing an episode. Amy, Amy Semple McPherson, yeah. sorry. I know, I was just looking up the same thing. I was like, ooh. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it started in Kansas and then it really exploded in Los Angeles, which is obviously very odd considering it was like the heart of Hollywood and all that. So so su- surprise, surprise, the women of Tammy, M- Tammy's mom church were actually a bunch of cunts to her after she got divorced. <laughs> they banned her from playing piano in church services. They banned her from singing, and she was like a very beautiful singer, and that was like her thing. She's got those divorce fingers. Yeah. They can't she, have that tickling they their cannot. ivories. Uh, and they really made her feel not welcome beyond just kicking her out of those uh, jobs. The reason the divorce happened was because Carl knocked up another woman. Like, it's not that she just left the marriage. She really felt like she had no choice uh, because of that. Yeah. Carl's fucking around. Um, but the the church cunts didn't blame him. They were like, what did you do to drive him away to another woman? Like, that was their take on the whole matter. Tammy tells a story in her book that she once overheard them like in her living room telling her mom she was going to hell. Her mom was sobbing after they left and Tammy ran down to comfort her. She later thought that because her mom was a beautiful and talented singer, the women were just jealous. (laughs) I don't doubt it. (laughs) So despite the bitches, Tammy's mom did remain devoted to God, but kind of stayed away from that particular church. Later on, her mother marries a second time, a widower named Fred Grover, uh, and he and her basically came together to form this Brady Bunch. He had four kids. She had four kids. It was four girls, four boys. Damn. And Tammy was the oldest of the whole group. They were definitely poor. They had no electric stove, no fridge, no indoor plumbing, just an outhouse in the back. Uh, They did have a bathroom, like a room where they kept a bucket to shit in when it was too cold (laughs) to go outside. Yeah. And the the boys were kind of in charge of dumping that. Needless to say, that's something that got dropped and fell down the stairs and like splashed all over their house. Like just the idea of that is just so horrible. Um, they also only had one tub, like the kind you have to fill with hot water and all the kids would have to take bath in the same tub. And Tammy got to go first because she was the cleanest. So they would, they would put them in order of dirty. (laughs) So the, the, the pig, the pig pen had to go last and be in the dirtiest water. Obviously, they had no TV, but they did have a radio. In addition to religious programming, Tammy loved to listen to the Grand Old Opry, fantasizing about being a singer one day. Now, Tammy's second, Tammy's mom's second marriage was also pretty uh, difficult. Fred drank and smoked. Rachel 
still had her Pentecostal leaning. So she's very opposed to this. They would have a lot of fights about his drinking, which led Tammy to worry that he would leave her just like her dad did. Um, She would sort of do like a typical oldest child in sort of a, you know, troubled household, taking on more chores, anything she could do to make her mom's life easier in the hopes that this man would not leave them. Tammy theorizes that her mom was really mad about her circumstances more than about Fred's drinking. She once dreamed of being a missionary before falling in love with Tammy's dad, who was a Roman Catholic, and she basically gave up all of her hopes and dream dreams for love, and then she's ended up here, yeah. uh, exactly where she doesn't want to be. When Tammy was a little older, her mom surprised her by turning, turning a storage closet into a bedroom. Tammy would have this all to herself and she decorated um, the walls with like wrapping paper as wallpaper. So it was like really sweet little story. Uh, She had this little space up until that point she had shared. They had all been in the same beds basically, including bedwetters. So it wasn't unusual to be woken up in the middle of the night to have to change the sheets because one of the kids pissed. That's happened to me as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, this was a dream come true for her and her first glimpse of the luxury life. Although the family had stopped going to Assemblies of God Church, which is a very large Pentecostal organization, Tammy one day finds herself going with a friend, and she really has her fill-with-the-spirit moment uh, that day. When the preacher whipped the crowd into a frenzy, he said to them, anyone who wants to be touched by God, come forward now. Tammy ran as fast as she could, in tears, filled with the spirit, and she describes this moment as the one she'll never forget. The moment she was touched by this uh, reverend or preacher, she falls back, raises her hand to the sky, and starts babbling a language she's never heard, speaking tongues. So she does the whole uh, shebang. She actually like blanks out, and she comes to with just the preacher and her mom standing above her. He had actually called the mom because Tammy had like went into some kind of what is it called a fugue state or whatever. Like she had lost a it, fugue right? State? Yeah. Uh, so she found God that night. Tammy would later tell her mom that that night she was planning on devoting her life to the Lord, doing what Rachel was unable to do, and decided that singing would be her way to bring people to Christ. Now, Tammy also speaks about how much tinier she was than the other girls, only 4'11 at her max height. Like that's as tall as she got. I had no idea she was that tiny. Uh, she was very self-conscious about this. People called her shrimp. Uh, she was also embarrassed by her lack of tits. She was very flat-chested and like completely like in agony about that. But she quickly found a way to make up for that. What she lacked in tits, she would compensate with eyelashes. She was very she was like a teen when she discovered mascara. A friend showed her mascara, and she had eyelashes, but they were very blonde. Yeah. Uh, so when she put that on, she was blown away by like her makeover. This friend also int- introduced her to lipstick. Uh, the only problem was in Tammy's church, wearing makeup meant you would burn in hell. <laughs> like they're against that as well. So she... I mean, what do they like? God, Nothing that's it? fun. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> they really, anything that brings some flavor to life, <laughs> they're opposed to. Right. Um, so she obviously can't wear lipstick, but she does began to wear mascara. Like she puts it on so light that no one will notice. Mm-hmm. So she does start her mascara um, obsession as a, a, a young teen. It would be many years before she would add full blush, false eyelashes, 
Well, you know, all the stuff that's coming with Tammy Faye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she discusses a bit in her book about the mockery her makeup use does receive eventually. And she says she'll be buried in her makeup and lashes, stating that her without lashes is like Dolly Parton without big boobs. Like, that's I, her trademark. I agree. Yeah. So she graduates from high school and goes to North Central Bible College in Minneapolis the same school her fiancé at the time, Stanley Kramer, is going to, but he surprises Tammy by saying he preferred she didn't attend college and stay in her hometown while he attended school. Tammy said she was going and he could accept it or shove it, and he kind of accepted it. They remained engaged, but were kind of like a little, let's take a little time apart, but we're still engaged type deal. When she shows up at Bible college, she was in heaven. She meets her roommate, a tiny, big-titted redhead named Aloha. She's from Hawaii. They become fast friends. And even though Tammy quickly found out Aloha was a hoe who was sent to Bible college because they wanted to straighten her up. <laughs> so she, Aloha's very popular. Let's just say she's the hit of Bible school because she's there at a fucking party. <laughs> uh, another person getting loose at Bible college is her fiance, Stanley. He's flirting with all the Bible study girls left and right. And Tammy, very maturely for her age, I think, told him at some point he clearly wasn't ready for marriage and she broke off the engagement. Of course, Stanley was then devastated because men want to have their cake and eat it too at that time. (laughs) Uh, Once she was single, Tammy herself became popular on campus and began chastely dating a lot of men. She was not fucking, but popular nonetheless. One night when she came home from her dorm, the dorm hall monitor uh, called out her name and gave her a stern warning. He said, Tammy LaValle, you're going to develop a reputation if you keep up this behavior. He went on to say a girl only had a reputation and it must be protected at all costs. I mean, what were they, they were just hold, holding hands. She was not doing, she was going out with a lot of guys to like whatever, the sock hop or the diner or whatever. <laughs> like she wasn't doing anything. Uh, a few days later, that hall monitor was asking Tammy's friends if she was still engaged to Stanley and if they thought it was okay for him to ask her out. That dork ass hall monitor was Jim Baker. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God. Of course he's the hall monitor, right? Of course he is. What a loser. So about Jim's early life. Jim was born January 1940. 40. 40. 40. In Muskegon, Michigan, he was a premature baby and he had like a rough start. He actually was put in an incubator and it it burned him. Oh my God. Uh, So he was there a long time and then had to uh, recover from those burns. This led to him being sort of off limits to his siblings and family. In his memoir, it's like one of his memoirs, by the way, they, they each have like a hundred memoirs. Uh, he says that his, his siblings weren't even allowed to breathe on him. Like that's how uh, paranoid his parents were about his health. It was like a do not touch the baby situation, meaning he had almost zero human contact as an infant. Oh my God. Now, all of us have a basic understanding of how bad <laughs> this is. Yeah. Like this can uh, lead to a lot of consequences mentally, but also physically. Like Babies who don't have contact early on can sometimes be smaller, uh, more underdeveloped in other areas as well. Uh, And evolutionary biology would say that sometimes those babies end up 
in like in the old days, like they would die because it's like, well, no one's taking care of this baby. So yeah. they almost just wither away and die. It's very bad. It's a very bad thing. And one of the things they recommend now is a lot of skin to skin contact when you have a baby, et cetera. So yeah, you, this fucked up gym, he does end up being smaller. He does have a lot of uh, issues uh, we'll get into. And the touch he now gets when he gets a little older is mostly punitive because his family is also very strict and uh, Pentecostal. Now, although Jim will really heighten the idea that he grew up in poverty later, this isn't exactly true. He was very traumatized by his family's first home when they were less well off. It was like an, an ugly orange house. And this insecurity will really carry through the rest of his life. This need to be very successful and have so much wealth, it's obvious to everyone that he is a success. Not a great combo for a man of God. Making matters worse, the marriage was also bad between his father and mother. And some people comment that the mother, they've never heard the mother say more than 10 words at a time. Uh, She just was, it was that type of marriage. She's just in misery. Now, I mentioned the family was Pentecostal uh, Christians. Their uh, church, the Central Assembly of God, was founded by Jim's grandpa. So they're pretty involved. Um, Jim is very freaked out by the church, the idea of God watching you at all times. Because he wants to jerk off. (laughs) We all do. We don't need God watch (laughs) unless he's into it. (laughs) I don't want judging. Yeah, exactly. Like he said he used to hide under the covers to like, what, oh no, that, that was me. I wrote that down. Wait. I used to hide. I thought God was always watching too. So I would go in the closet and like rip things sometimes. <gasps> like, I don't know what it was uh, or do like under the covers if I wanted to draw in because a book. God, could, God was omnipotent, but he couldn't see you under the duvet. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't taking chances. <laughs> I wasn't jerking off then. But like, yeah. Uh, I think he had like a portrait of an eye in his like parlor, the living room, yeah. like this God's eye, like looking over. I mean, pretty creepy. Uh, his dad actually wasn't that strict. Of course, he let them watch TV and they went to movies. The the, the um, Jim started like cutting church. Like he would go and then kind of sneak out and go hang out with his friends. He was very into rock and roll. When he was eleven, he meets an adult at the church named Russell. Now. Russell asked Jim, Russell's in his like late 20s, early 30s. One day, Russell asked Jim if he wants to get a hamburger after church. Jim is constantly searching for a father figure, and this will also be a theme he has throughout the rest of his life. So he obviously agrees to this right away. He's not suspicious uh, of any potential bad outcome with this thing. Not like us today. We're all like, wait, what? Don't go with an adult male alone in a car. He's so starved for affection that this attention he's getting makes him feel very special. After they eat, Russell takes him down a deserted road and begins to molest him. Now, Jim, in his memoir, talks about seeing this attention as what big guys do. Like, he doesn't see anything wrong with it. And in a classic abused child, he actually finds comfort in this initially. Like, I'm special. He picked me to do this. This is all classic grooming behavior because I'm sure Russell fed into that as well. This goes on for years. Russell would continue um, having him come over to mow the lawn, take him to isolated locations, and molest him. Jim said he allowed it because he wanted the attention and caring touches, something that he hadn't had at home. Russell eventually dumps Jim because he gets too old when he gets into an older teen 
so yeah, Jim is upset by this, but he never tells anybody until his memoir. This is where he said he learned how to um, put on a public face while hiding extreme inner turmoil. He We'll get into more of this later, but he also becomes deeply ashamed by what he considers to have been homosexual behavior. Like he's freaked out by what he's done at this point as well. At 15, and that's because this religion is very anti gay, 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 like obviously. Um, So he's being fed that at church, and then he's done what is going to basically send him to hell. So it's fucked up. At 15, uh, they move into their bigger, more like, Ostentious, like this wealthy Victorian, this huge thing that has like a grand piano in the parlor room. He's at a new school, school, and he finally has a good, influential father figure in his life, a teacher who really encourages his creativity. And he starts DJing at parties. He becomes more popular and outgoing at this point. And his first show that he ever puts on is in 1956. He does a fundraiser for his school paper that's basically a vaudeville act that includes like 15 to 20 different um, acts. This becomes very popular and is an annual event that he puts on. He also now becomes obsessed with the popularity and being in the center of attention that he gets. Um, So he's kind of building his ability of this being a showman at this age. But then he has an experience that takes him away from showbiz and puts him back on the path of the Lord. He hits a toddler with a car, his car that he's driving. Yeah. So he's dropping off his girlfriend at the time, a woman named Sandy Tires. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a John Waters character name. Yeah. Um, He's going to church and it's snowy outside. He backs up and feels a bump. He hit a toddler. Oh the, my god! The kid does not die, but he uh, his collarbone is bone is crushed. He punctures a long lung, so it's a pretty serious accident. And this miraculous recovery um, leads Jim to kind of go back to Bible, want to go to Bible college and sort of get rid of his DJing and all of that kind of stuff, etc. Now, this is a story he obviously tells for the rest of his life. Um, and the, the truth of the matter is he does a few more years at high school DJing. It's, it's still Bible college is not the immediate, um, outcome here, but maybe it's brewing in his mind, but he acts it like, he acts like it's more of a direct correlation. Like, uh, it's not, but yeah, this did happen. And this does sort of make him focus more on serving the Lord. Um, so he does end up going to Bible college. And as I mentioned, he becomes the hall monitor and he meets the love of his life. Well, the first one, (laughs) he has another one. (laughs) So Jim calls Tammy the next day uh, after asking the friends if it's okay to call her. Uh, He invites her to go to dinner and church. This is a typical date at Bible college. And she declines. He says he will never ask her out again. But the next day when she arrives to her dorm room, she sees a dozen roses waiting on her bed. He calls her to ask her out again. And this time she says yes. That night they go out and talk for hours. And while walking her back to her dorm, he says to her, Tammy LaValle, I have loved you since the moment I saw you. And I was so disappointed when I saw the ring on your finger. I love you, Tammy. Will you marry me? Jesus. He takes a bracelet off his hand and puts it on her wrist. She doesn't say yes. This is from her memoir. And she doesn't say no either. They just walk away back to the dorm. I have no idea. But they're engaged. All the girls are jealous. And Jim continues showering her with gifts. Like he leaves her little stuffed animals and little trinkets all the time on this bed. 
Now, although not rich, Tammy says he is really good with money. And I gasped when she wrote, that was the Jewish part of Jewish. <gasps> yes. Tammy. Tammy. I know. I was like, uh, first of that's all, not charming. First of all, I'll have you know, not all of us are good with money, Tammy. I know. It was like the casual like anti-Semitism was so wild. It was like, uh, they let this pass. Also, Jim is Jewish. <laughs> like, I'm Wait. sorry. That's the other like record scratch moment. Wait, he has a Jewish... His grandmother was a German Jew on his mom's side. So he's like, whatever. So he has a little bit. It He's got a little bit. uh, I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, I was like, oh, Tammy, come on. I'm I'm pulling for you. So Jim is a hard worker, eventually saves up money to buy her an official engagement ring. Now, as happy as this young couple is, Jim's family are not thrilled. Jim's dad wants him to focus on his career more than marriage. When they go to visit, Tammy is shocked by the opulence of Jim's home because he had downplayed it. He really wants to be look like he's poor, uh, but he's not. So um, he's basically, the dad is dunking on Tammy the whole time Jim is there. He's constantly like, hey, she's not good enough for you. Hey, there's a lot more pretty and high status girls available. Like, what are Jeez. you doing with her? Like this kind of shit. He tells Jim that not only will they not attend the wedding, but they will disown Jim if he marries Tammy. But they get married. So Jim stands by her. Less than a year after meeting, they marry on April Fool's Day, 1961. Would you marry on that day, April 1st? (laughs) No. I mean, it seems like a bad omen. Only because everyone would make a big deal out of it. I don't need to hear that joke for the rest of my life. No. Um, So... They vow not only to make the marriage work, but to join forces and convert as many people as possible to their version of Christianity. Their wedding night is actually interrupted by her old fiance, Stanley. She says she's sitting on the bed, like in her white bridal negligee or whatever. And there's a knock on the door. Jim opens it and Stanley's standing there. And he uh, asked Tammy if she's okay. (laughs) It's like, Stanley, you're a little late. Where are they spending their honeymoon night? It's like by the college in some hotel. Like, I don't know, the Best Western. <laughs> Nearby what Best Western. Fuck? But I love that it's like, no, you're supposed to do that in the ceremony. Yeah. Like when they ask anyone to late, protest. Bro. It's too late, Stanley. And Jim, of course, angrily sends him away. So their plans to become traveling evangelists get moved up because they get kicked out of school for getting married. You're not allowed to do that at this Bible college. You have to wait till after you're out of school to get married. You can't do anything at this college. Uh, Except study the Bible. That's it. Who wants to do that? (laughs) So the next year they move to South Carolina and they begin their ministry together, traveling around the United States, but using South Carolina as their base. Jim preaches and Tammy sings songs and plays accordion. It's during this period that Tammy first notices Jim's moodiness as well. He would fall into deep depressions and not speak for days. Tammy chalked it up to the reality of the real world where Jim was no longer a golden boy and just another man struggling to live up the promise he so long believed that he had. So he's just like, you know, he's in the real world and he doesn't like it. As disturbing as it was to Tammy, for Tammy Faye, obviously divorce is not an option. She said that despite that, they were affectionate and their lovemaking was addictive. (laughs) Should we take a break here? Yes. Okay. Bye. (laughs) 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. So it's around this time that she also discovers Jim is a hypochondriac. He has like a lot of uh, things going on. Eventually, like when they'll have kids eventually, and he's like very obsessed with public toilets. Like when they go and he's like, you have to put down so much toilet paper and da 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 da. It's like, dude, just don't use it if you're that scared. <laughs> like it's like one of those people. He also has extreme anxiety and stage fright. Like he's almost to the point of like being incapable of going on stage. But all the problems um, sort of drift away when he's giving his sermon and goes out there. But the minute he uh, comes off of this inspiring and positive you know, sermon, he immediately disappears um, back down his like black hole of a mood. So uh, definitely some undiagnosed things happening here. They also are constantly moving around South Carolina because Jim always wants a bigger and better house. Still driven by these demons of his youth, obsessed with respect and getting the love and devotion of the masses to try to fill this black hole of need that never really gets full. <laughs> um, they spend years traveling the country doing these revival shows and start getting paid pretty well, but nowhere near what they thought they deserved. Although evangelists had made their mark on radio, they were slowly making their way over to TV. And this is like the big goal to sort of do this. Now, I the front line I watched had some interesting information on the rise of the evangelist Um Basically, at some point when television starts happening, uh, whoever's in charge will give religious organizations free time on air to air their programming, but they kind of stick to the big the big guns, like the yeah. Catholics and uh, whatever. Um, they don't give they don't give anything to the evangelists because the evangelists have a 
a bad rap at this point. They were responsible for prohibition, really. So a lot of people hate them. Yeah. Because like, get the fuck out of our business. They had those scandals I mentioned with Amy uh, Semple McPherson because she had a huge sex scandal. Um, so yeah, they're like, well, we're not giving you time. At some point in the 60s, the FCC rules that um, they don't have to be given time anymore. They can actually purchase it. Uh, themselves. So this is where they start purchasing uh, television time and sort of the rise of the evangelist start in the 60s. Um, So Jim and Tammy in 1965 meet the man who's at the forefront of getting this shit together, Pat Robertson. As a part of their ministry, Jim and Tammy Faye had created an act for children using puppets. We talked about this in our Spotify green room uh, on the documentary yesterday. So this is what puts them on Pat's radar. He's very interested in turning that into a kid's show for his fledgling TV station, the Christian Broadcasting Network. At this point, CBN is still a very new uh, thing. It's not exactly taking off. If you're really old, you might remember UHF. (laughs) Like it's in the channels that are like way up there without the strongest signals. Yeah. Uh, So... Jim and Tammy Faye are a little skeptical about giving up what they already are doing, which is pretty successful to do this puppet show. But Pat convinces them that television is the future as far as ministries are concerned. Although unsure, Jim and Tammy Faye agree to do one episode, mostly because Jim once again sees a father figure in Pat. So they have these puppets, uh, Susie Moppet, who is a cross between Barbie and Miss Piggy. And we talked about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we talked about on Green Room yesterday that the Susie Moppet puppet, it's literally a Porky Pig puppet that yeah. Tammy Faye put a blonde wig on. Yes. So it's this little girl that with a pig face. Yeah. Did they? I, I wonder if they ever made those and sold them. Yeah. I don't know. I want one. The puppets are very creepy. Yes. So the first show is a huge hit. And T- Jim and Tammy Faye decide to risk it all and go all in on Christian broadcasting broadcasting, a risk that obviously is going to pay off. Another aspect of the deal they made was that Jim eventually wanted to host a Tonight Show style show where he would be the Johnny Carson figure. After the success of the puppet show, he finally gets the green light and the 700 Club was born. Now, I I read what that title meant. I don't think I ever knew. I don't. The title means if 700 people donate $100 a month, it can keep going. Wait. (laughs) Okay, I shouldn't be shocked that it's a reference to money. Yeah. But I really thought it was like some Bible thing. I did too. Like some reference to like... Line 700. Or like it said the 700 people will be sacrificed. I don't know. Like some... No, it's literally money. I'm going to get into this in a bit, this money thing with this televangelism. So... They got celebrity guests too, like not big ones, but <laughs> Mahalia Jackson, a famous gospel singer, and Pat Boone. This show becomes enormously successful and had a real variety aspect, much like the ones Jim produced back in high school. He starts implementing that right away. As Jim becomes busier, Tammy obviously becomes more lonely. She rarely sees him, even though she is a part of the show. He's doing a lot more than just the shows. She, um, when she did see him, he wanted to have sex, but no more lovemaking, Rachel. It's just sex. Wait, it's just rough Christian sex? <laughs> it's just in and out, wham, bam, thank you, man sex. Uh, oh. Not the lovemaking that she was addicted to. Tammy also becomes obsessed with having a baby at this time. This is a very common trap that some women in a bad marriage can fall into. They think it's going to save the marriage. She does eventually get pregnant and in 1970 gives birth to their daughter, 
Tammy Sue, Sissy Baker. Tammy says that Jim does kind of turn around a bit. He becomes devoted to giving her the best life and is definitely um, devoted to being a dad. So, you know, when they join the CBN, the audience is in the low thousands and they really make this uh, network a huge, legit sensation. So Jim is at CBN. uh, He is CBN at this point. And Pat Robertson is just behind the scenes. He becomes resentful and he tells Jim that he'd like to start hosting the uh, 700 Club occasionally. Two nights a week becomes three nights a week becomes four nights a week until he is eventually the full-time host. Jim begins to protest this as well as other changes at the network, including the fact that Pat wants to add secular, t- secular TV to the lineup, like uh, shows in syndication like I Love Lucy. So he's filling the uh, schedule with stuff like that. But there's really nothing Jim could do uh, besides the fact that he had no power ultimately. He also saw Pat as a father figure and he didn't want to ruffle his feathers. But they decide to leave after turning down a hefty raise that was offered to them. And according to Tammy in her book, he Pat, for many years after this, wouldn't even speak their names. Like they were dead to him uh, after they left the network. Wow. So this is 1972. Once again, they are starting over. They had no plan as to what was up next for them. They decided to have a fresh start and drove across the country with their Airstream trailer to Southern California, where they met up with an old friend named Paul Crouch and his wife, Ida. Now, Paul very quickly pitches Jim the idea of starting their own Christian television station, and together they co-found the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Jim and Tammy Faye were the talent and face of the network, and you know Jim continued preaching, Tammy Faye sang and cried. And Paul was sort of the behind the scenes business end of things. Although this seemed uh, incredibly white, it is incredibly white. They're very popular with the black audience. They have a huge black audience and even have former Black Panther as a guest several times, like who's sort of a born again Christian at some point. Uh But like we know with Jim Jones, they don't fucking care. (laughs) They're not actually for racial justice. They just want money and they're going to take whatever money they can get. Right. They don't give a fuck who they're swindling. Um, Very quickly, though, this endeavor falls apart. Paul and Jim begin butting heads. Paul's wife, Jan, wants to be on TV, according to Tammy Faye, and they get ousted in this board meeting. Luckily, another call comes to help start a new Christian network in North Carolina. Jim and Tammy Faye and Sissy pack up their trailer and head back to the East Coast, and they start up the PTL Club. So PTL stands for Praise the Lord. Some people says it it stands for Pass the Loot. <laughs> I don't think that's the official uh, na- re- name. Um, it quickly takes off. So they're very successful, um, so successful that Jim almost immediately has money to make this huge, massive studio and sets. We've seen uh, some of the images. These sets are above and beyond what most religious programming were having at this time. He calls it Heritage Village, this massive studio in North Carolina. Um, He produces uh, the PTL Club as well as other shows. He also is like on the forefront of having a satellite network, which no one had done yet. He's the first person. ESPN does it like a few years later. I think they're the second. Now, part of their popularity is really that they live their lives on camera. They are so open about their struggles that they seem like friends. 
And it's really almost a precursor to the reality TV obsession we have today. Yeah. Like people liked watching their lives and they were pretty open about their ups and downs, their weight loss struggles, their like, you know, whatever. The kids were on the show. Yeah. So I can see why it stood out compared to other religious television because it's like, yeah, we want to see people's lives on television, even if we don't like them right. necessarily. We want to watch. Uh, what they're going through if they're if they're sort of open and compelling like this. Plus Tammy's outfits, as we've discussed before. Well, the show was like also, you know, his background in kind of producing these variety shows and it had that vibe. Like yeah. we, we talked about how the sets were very Lawrence Welk. They had singing and yes, it was uh, religious music, but it was like she would, you know... There was sets. There was like costumes. set pieces, costumes, props. Uh, there was the boat thing we saw. <laughs> like just like a lot of shit was going on. Like if social media existed back then, they would have been all over that shit oh posting like everything. Once again, Jim is also very good at connecting to those who are lonely. Like he looks right into the TV and talks to these people who are lonely and they become very important part of these people's lives. And these people are like, here, take all my fucking money. Like you're all I have basically yeah. right now. So it's very uh, manipulative and, you know, I think wrong to take advantage of that. Uh, this studio is like state of the art in the Christian broadcasting world. Um, this obviously um, puts a strain on the marriage once again. Tammy decides it's time for another baby. And in 1975, they have Jamie Charles Baker, their son. But having this baby did nothing to help the marriage this time. Tammy said the wife side of her died that day, and she just became focused on being a mother. She even got her own sort of housewife show on PTL called Tammy's House Party. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I want to see that. I know it does sound good. So the PTLA <laughs> just grows and grows and grows. Like within a year of its founding, it had generated $120 million annually, oh which God. is like a lot of money even today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, okay. So the money aspect obviously, there's a lot of talk about, well, how is that religious to have all this money and to be asking for money? Where is it going? All of this stuff. Jim is like, a proponent and becomes the face of what is known as prosperity gospel. This is like, obviously the show mi mixes this down home family values with glitzy entertainment. They're preaching uh, this prosperity gospel, which is basically, basically the idea that you're rich because you deserve it. <laughs> Right. Because you were good with God. Um, God makes the numbers work. You don't have to worry about things. So this will play into Jim's downfall because he thinks the money is going to come no matter what. And it's actually a sin to worry about money or plan or budget because you're basically saying, well, I don't trust God to come through with the money. But it's also, they think it's also okay to take money from poor people. Well, because those people should give you all their money. Because God's going to reward them tenfold. Right. So, I mean, it, you, it's, it's sick. It's fucked up. It's very, it's fucked, very up. fucked up. I mean, it's very fucked up. They're wealth hoarders. They're wealth hoarders and they're tricking people because it's like they have a lot of money because you're giving it to them, but you're not going to get what they have. No. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? That's sort of the line they're selling. Like, if you want to have what we have, give us all your money and right. God's going to reward you. If you don't give us all your money, you're going to have. That's why God's not going to reward you. <laughs> like, it's just, it's very fucked up. Um, he will write checks and uh, bad checks, like praying that the money comes um, to cover them. But then he, he doesn't 
rely on God either, Rachel, because he'll very conveniently have a fundraiser plan for the day the checks are going to go through or something like that. Yeah. So he always manages to get the money in without just the help of God. Um, so yeah, I mean, he holds these telethons become a regular thing to basically cover his debts when he needs to, he needs a quick buck, go fucking on TV with your phone banks and have that. Um, the other concept in, uh, prosperity gospel, which is, I think a concept that comes to popularity by Oral Roberts, another guy from this time. Yeah. It's the concept, um, the, the idea that these people are giving you money, it's called seed money. Meaning if you give a preacher all your money, that's the seed that will lead to your own financial success. Like God sees this. Uh, yeah. So that's like another concept there. Now these um, contributions are coming in like millions of dollars per week. Um, this is what leads him to expand the PTL club mission. He starts having these ideas that he's going to uh, have this theme park. I'll get a little more into that in a bit. And he starts, um, when people start questioning what he's doing, he says of television and mass media, I believe that if Jesus were alive today, he would be on TV too, like doing the same thing. I want to remind you, all of this money is tax-free. They do not pay taxes on this because they have an exemption because they're a church. Yeah. Now, not a lot of, not everyone at the PTL organization is on board with this. There are people who legitimately were into the idea of spreading the gospel, get turned off by this focus on money and felt that Jim had changed and become obsessed with money and power. He also began calling himself a prophet, which sort of inoculated him from criticism. Right. Cause there's some Bible quote I didn't write down that sort of backed <laughs> it up. Like don't criticize one of God's prophets. Like he's sort of infallible. Well, if you, if you, designate yourself a prophet hey, and anything goes. I I'm mean, a prophet. <laughs> what's, what's stopping me from saying I'm a prophet? Right. Nothing. So in 1978, they used $200 million of the PTL funds to build Heritage USA, a Christian retreat and theme park that eventually will be the third most popular theme park in the United States after Disney World and Disneyland. Um, this theme park will really highlight a lot of the financial issues within the PTLA. Namely, uh, the organization has a terrible credit rating at this point because of the bad check writing. Um, they're spending way more than they're bringing in. Even though they're bringing in so much money, they have huge cash shortfalls. He's falling behind on certain loan payments and he's not paying workers. Like He's like doing all that kind of stuff. This amusement park, which is located on the North Carolina-South Carolina border, has a water park with a wave pool, a petting zoo, a miniature railroad, a covered shopping mall, including the Heavenly Fudge Shop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It has the world's largest Wendy's. Oh. (laughs) What a distinction. (laughs) Um, The the Wendy's is in a, a turreted castle. Jesus. Yeah, I would go there. It has a 500-room hotel. And the hotel is where um, a lot of this financial stuff that we'll be talking about in episode two come into play. So part of the way he raises money to to pay for some of this stuff is that uh, he sells lifetime partnerships in the hotel, like timeshares, basically, giving donors a guaranteed guaranteed annual timeshare. He sells way more lifetime partnerships than the hotel could ever possibly uh, honor. And that's just a classic scheme yeah. uh, for sure. Because uh, that demand will eventually um, bite him in the ass. Uh, <laughs> and then he tries to make more hotels. I mean, it's like a pyramid scheme kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, in a way. So 
somehow he does manage to kind of just barely stay above falling apart completely at this time. He also falls in with this guy named Ro Mesner, who will be Tammy's husband one day. He's a very successful church designer and he had access to a large line of credit, more importantly. So he is ambitious enough to see this theme park as sort of being his greatest project ever and agrees to kind of go in on it. This is also around the time that PTL, coincidentally enough, starts um, stops being transparent with their financial records. <laughs> no reason at all that this happens at this time. He used to be very uh, open and have people have access to it, and all of a sudden it closed down about this time. His place, pleas for money become more dramatic and sort of vaguely threatening. <laughs> Like if, if you don't send us money, yes. you're going to hell. We need $10,000 a month or we'll be put off the air. Listen, people, it's all over. Everything's gone. Christian television will be no more. God, calm down. It's very similar to like financial um, or like donation, political donation emails, you know, like... Oh, when you donate to a politician? Yeah, and then you'll get emails like, I guess that's it. We're over. <laughs> And you're like, oh, okay, you know, Nancy Pelosi or whatever. Right. They send you this like <laughs> insane email that the, the headline or the, the subject line is always something like, well, we're all going to die. Yeah. And then you open it and you're like, that's clickbait. No, it's always so dramatic. But I feel like that was, this is an age old tactic. Right. Like you have to make people think it's extreme this time, but it's always extreme in Jim Baker's world. Um, so he, at this time, though, he's also buying houses and boats. So it's like, are you really that strapped for cash? Because you're still buying shit. Right. And they talk about it on their show. Like there's this segment where Tammy Faye is like, they wanted a pool, but should they also ask God for a lake? And it's like, you're not asking God, you're taking the money and buying for it. Like, let's stop the charade here. Yeah. Um, So he's obsessed with this Heritage USA now and is spending all of his time dealing with that. Tammy falls in, has like an emotional affair with a guy, a producer, songwriter named Gary Paxton. He produced Monster Mash. That's like his big hit. What? Yes. But at the time, he's writing Christian music for the PTLA. So they start having this emotional affair. This never goes beyond that, according to Tammy. Do you think they had sex to Monster Mash? Who doesn't? <laughs> we all gotta. We gotta smash to the Monster Mash. Um but obviously, this is very destructive to their already fragile marriage. This leads to a very public separation that ironically fuels their popularity because they're very open about their struggles on air and people find it very compelling. In particular, it really makes Tammy Faye begin to stand out as someone who is genuinely caring and struggling, very much like you at home, and not typically what we think of as the cold, judgmental Christian woman type that she grew up with, the women who rejected her mom. She's not that. She seems to be what we all think a Christian should be, right? Caring for marginalized people, struggling themselves with faith, and you know, going through ups and downs and all of that stuff. But I mean, she's still enjoying this glitzy life. So it is definitely, she's sort of a mixed bag. Uh, they prove that they're adept at growing their audience with this kind of stuff. It's hard not to watch because in addition to this personal, like, you know, this glimpse into their personal life, they're doing a ton of crazy stunts still. Uh, we saw a thing where she um, has a camel. 
that was from the show when she's on the camel. Really? She pulls up on that camel and it actually um, peed all over the stage oh during that number. There's also a time that she hosts the show while on a merry-go-round. <laughs> so she's just going around and they oh brought in like a, li- a real merry-go-round for her to do this on. So it's it's like musty television. She um, really presides provides like the sentimental and emotional touches uh to the show and we talked about on green room she's a crier yes uh according to um a mutual friend a reverend mel white i think he was in the documentary a few times too he commented on her presence on the ptl club he said her fans were people who grew up in a very fundamentalist tradition not being able to wear makeup or dance or go out in public so here comes tammy with her dyed hair her makeup her ebullient spirit and outspoken ways with both men and women she talked about sex she flirted with jimmy she took on the character of an obedient wife and blasted it you've never seen pat robertson's wife or jerry falwell's wife be like this they stay at home doing what wives do so the reconciliation between them is short-lived. Their marriage is still bad, and they're pretty much married in name only at this point. Jim remains obsessed with Heritage USA and his Christian mega, mega network. At this point, people like Pat Robertson have come back into the fold. That's how successful he is, as well as moral majority leader and world-class shitbag Jerry Falwell. Now he's all kissing Jim's ass, too. Once again, Tammy is left out of the praise and accolades as Jim soaks them all in. It's around this time she becomes addicted to Ativan and Valium. They both began gaining weight, which I bring up because they spoke about it constantly, their struggles with this. And they even wrote a diet book called How We Lost Weight and Kept It Off. I need with to an exclamation. <laughs> Maybe we can get it for the bonus. Yeah, it's like, I would love to know what their awful diet advice is. Ugh. I'm sure it's horrible. Um, besides, uh, during... This December of 1980, it's another telethon time. December is a big telethon month because why buy presents for your kids when you can give money to Jim to pay off whatever fucking bill he so has So they could due. buy some more gold mirrors for yes. their house. So he uh, needs these boatloads of cash. He is going down to Clearwater, Florida, where they're going to have this big telethon. He takes his daughter with him, uh, who I think is uh, about 10 at this time. A friend of Jim's is also in Florida. His name is Reverend John Wesley Fletcher. He is aware of Jim's marriage issues. And at some point during this telethon uh, get together, he tells Jim he could have any woman he wants. And why didn't he get his ass out there and and stop putting up with uh, Tammy's BS? He tells Jim it's time to put Tammy in her place and start fucking other women. Great plan. Now, John tells Jim he has the perfect girl for him. She's dying to meet him, a big fan, and he would fly her in from New York just for the chance. She would fly just for the chance to meet Jim. Have you seen Jim Baker? I have. <laughs> like, even at his best, it's He's, not that he is good. He's not a hot man. <laughs> yeah. In less than an hour, a 21 year old search, I'm sorry, church secretary, Jessica Hahn, is on her way to Clearwater. And so begins the unraveling of one of Christian television's biggest stars. Next week, we'll get into what happened in Clearwater, Clearwater, Florida. We'll talk about Jessica and her story and the biggest scandal in Christian television history and criminal Jim Baker. Like he's committing crimes all over the map. Uh, And this story about what happens with Jessica, this is where I'm going to fall off with Tammy a bit because her... Her version of it in the memoir is just, 
insane yeah. and an off base yeah. in my opinion but we'll talk about it and we'll talk about Jessica I think what happened uh because we all know what happened <laughs> like I think yeah. it's pretty obvious so yeah that's where we are uh looking forward to getting into that yeah we will see you all on the mini episode we're going to do our after show when you make decisions for your company you look for the no brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. For Patreon now, and we'll put up some pictures. And we will post a lot of pictures. Yes. Okay. Bye. Bye.